This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you, as the parent, can follow their ride on a live tracking map. Yeah, when your teen requests a trip, they're matched with highly rated, experienced drivers and you receive real-time notifications. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today, they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. It makes them feel safe, and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. And today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you've been paying attention to uh, to domestic U.S. politics, you may have noticed that uh, the current president, Donald Trump, has been receiving a little bit of criticism for his golf habit and his trips to Mar-a-Lago in Florida. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the things people pointed out in January was that the county of Palm Beach estimates that uh, his recent golf trips have cost around $13.8 million just for local security. However, today's story is about a time when that wasn't maybe so bad. Hi, I'm Ben. Hey, Ben. I'm Noel. It's true. You're talking about just local security. So that's just the hit that the local infrastructure and law enforcement takes, not to mention like all of the Secret Service and stuff on, you know, the taxpayer side of things that goes into a trip like that in this day and age. Right. But back. Uh, let's travel back in time, back to a simpler time, back to when Calvin Coolidge, the coolest name in presidential history, was the president. Right. And technically the coolest uh, only because our super producer, Casey Pegram, has not yet accepted the people's call for him to run for office. But hey, Casey, uh, I think you and I talked about this off air a while ago. Uh, you, you said you would never want that job. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. That's um, 
That's a job for somebody else. Okay, well, we'll we'll keep you in mind for an ambassadorship. Uh, yes, Calvin Coolidge. I love alliteration uh, as, as a Ben Bolin myself. Uh, Calvin Coolidge served as the 30th president of the U.S. from 1923 to 1929. And like many presidents, regardless of, uh, of what political party you find yourself in, uh, he was the subject of no small amount of criticism. The famously witty and sharp-tongued social critic H.L. Mencken once described Coolidge's administration this way. Coolidge's chief feat, wrote Mencken, was to sleep more than any other president. Not only was he lazy, but his uh, perpetually dour expression seemed to indicate he had been, quote, weaned on a pickle. Ouch, H.L., Harsh words. Uh, I love how he's characterized uh, as a, uh, quote, professional deflator in this article from South Dakota Magazine. So, yeah, it's true. And he he wasn't alone. A lot of uh, social critics from the time uh, would certainly rag on our boy Coolidge. Um, Mencken, in particular, was one of the most acid tongue of the lot, but but he did kind of speak for uh, the the zeitgeist at the time. There there was a sense that Coolidge was a bit of a do nothing president, a bit of a, a lazy bones, let's say. Right. Yeah, it was actually, and this is again according to South Dakota Magazine, difficult to find people who had over-the-top, extraordinarily good things to say about President Coolidge. A lot of it had to do with just his demeanor. He was not a particularly good orator, um, which, as we know, makes a huge difference in the way a president is perceived. He wasn't, he was a little bit, he was considered kind of boorish and a little bit gauche in his social behavior and just wasn't particularly clever in the way he comported himself. And he just didn't have very, very good people skills, let's say, right? Bedside manner goes a long way. He was not quick on his feet in terms of the funny factor. Uh, He was shy. He didn't have a lot of the social niceties that would be expected of the time. One of his common monikers or nicknames was Silent Cal. Uh, And people said he spoke as if he expected to live for 100 years, but feared he had only been given enough words to last 50 years. The the literati, uh, the the tastemakers of the time said that he was just he was at best incredibly dull, if not a uh, genuine patent fool. That's right. And the business community liked him just fine, mainly because he didn't really do anything to upset the apple cart. You know, he was not pushing through some kind of crazy uh, agenda of reforms that would have helped or hindered the business community. Therefore, as far as they were concerned, he was just fine because he was uh, allowing the status quo uh, to remain, which was quite lucrative. He was an establishment candidate. That's true. Though, we're we're painting a a pretty um, I wouldn't say inaccurate, but we're painting a a pretty critical picture of Coolidge at this time. We do have to remember that he was still the president, which meant that whenever he was doing something, whatever he was doing, people would follow him, especially the press. So this gave some people in Black Hills, South Dakota, an idea. They had the light bulb moment. Then-Senator Peter Norbeck and a couple of his compatriots said, you know what, let's invite the president for a visit to Black Hills, South Dakota. And for some reason, everything just worked out. Fortune smiled upon them, and good old Silent Cal agreed to show up. 
Uh, we should point out also, this is in the days before air conditioning, which historians believe may have played a role. Yeah, and it's easy to forget that um, Washington, D.C. was sort of a planned community, a plan, you know, a city that was built for a purpose, uh, a.k.a. the government, on a uh, quite large swamp. Um, and, and when the summer months would hit, residents there um, uh, would be reminded of that fact uh, by its muggy, stifling nastiness. Yeah, I've spent a lot of time in D.C. And when I was first going up there, especially in the spring and summer, I, I was so naive. I just you look at the place on a map and you think, oh, it's it doesn't look like it's very far south, but it is still incredibly muggy. It's still definitely a swamp. That is not any kind of political statement. It's just environmentally, it is swamp weather. And this is especially tough for Coolidge because he had bronchitis and that kind of air can be very difficult for you if you have that condition. A wet kind of sticky, muggy situation. Not good. They always uh, tend to uh, people that have chronic uh, bronchial conditions or respiratory conditions are always um, encouraged to go to where the air is dry, to more arid climates like uh, New Mexico or Arizona or California. Which, for the Tombstone fans in the audience, is how Doc Holliday ended up working with Wyatt Earp. Because of his consumption, he had moved out west. Coolidge, uh, of course, I I'm going to say it, in my opinion, based just on the fictional portrayals, not as cool as uh, Doc Holliday, but few people, aside from Casey, are. Uh, we know that he had gone a couple of other places in earlier attempts to get away from that uh, <laughs> that cloying Washington swamp air, right? Yes, he was known to ma summer at the Massachusetts shore, and uh, the following that was in 1925, and then the following year um, he went to the Adirondack Mountains, where they're famous for those chairs. Uh, that, that you often see large versions of. You ever seen giant Adirondack chairs mm -hmm. as some sort of like roadside attraction? Yeah, my, uh, some of my family members used to own one. A giant Adirondack. Mm -hmm. They're fun for photo ops because you look really small sitting in it. It looks like you're a tiny, tiny person. This is an uncle of mine who had a collection of bizarre devices. Things Interesting. Um, yeah, he also went to, uh, that was in 26 that he went to the Adirondacks. And then in 27, he went somewhere west of the Alleghenies and east of the Rockies. So South Dakota and Senator Norbeck said, we're going to go all in on this. So we're actually going to pass a resolution in the state Congress inviting the president on January 7th, 1927 they said, it's weird, this guy Rex Allen Smith notes, they spared no adjectives when drafting it and indulged in no false modesty. So they were really doing the hard sell. It's almost like an Oscar campaign, right? They're really trying to woo the president to vote for, uh, vote for the Black Hills. You know, lend it his endorsement, right? Because they were hoping this would be a boon for the uh, their tourism industry. Um, so what did that campaign look like? Well, you got to admit, uh, their their game was on point or their, their patter, as you may hear it referred to uh, in the world of sales, uh, was, you know, left little to be desired. Lofty peaks, you know what I mean? Snow-capped mountains, magnificent forests, fresh sparkling streams. They hit on the ideal climate, but also they said, you know, 
There is, we've got fishing, we've got golf, we've got polo, we've got tennis, all splendid. That's right. They characterize the uh, the people as well of this region. Uh, quote, the population in and about the mountains uh, is intelligent and moral. Yeah, morality was really big at the time. <laughs> or calling people moral was very big at the time. Because they might, you know, there, there's one thing that, that no one was saying about uh, about Coolidge. They might have said he was boring, might have borderline called him an idiot. But no one really questioned his morality. Yeah, it didn't really come up. They're too busy slamming him for literally everything else. Right. And, and, and of course, you know, uh, if you look at his policies in the early 20th century, they aged terribly uh, and they did perpetrate some oppressive systems. Uh, but that was par for the course for the people in power of the day. Senator Norbeck travels to Washington, as you do when you're a senator, And he delivers this invitation to Coolidge, where Coolidge says one of the, quote, few funny things, really, that he ever said during his time as president. This uh, whoever's writing this article for South Dakota magazine is uh, is is really good at, at, at zinging the president here. It's Roger Holtzman, um, and this is fantastic. Um, so he quotes the president as saying, uh, "Senator." I can't tell whether this is a chapter from Revelations or Mohammed's idea of the seventh heaven. And then again, uh, our, our witty South Dakota magazine writer says, true to his nature, though, the president said nothing further that day. And like Bernie Sanders, uh, Calvin Coolidge uh, is, is from Vermont. Do you tell? I think by by the accent and the way he uh, the way he casually references seventh heaven. Uh, there There is one thing. Uh, They want to interject here. We have to remember that during this time, Black Hills, South Dakota is on a uh, on a larger mission to become more prominent in the United States. 1927 is when the construction on Mount Rushmore began. You you guys remember Mount Rushmore, right? It's the it's the gigantic sculpture with 60 foot heads of presidents. Mm -hmm. Not ostentatious at all. No, and Coolidge is not one of them. No, definitely not. But uh, maybe if this trip went differently, it would have been. So it must have been a slow news cycle there in the Roaring Twenties because for the next month, almost all the daily papers dedicated some part of their page space to speculating on whether or not the president would actually come to Black Hills. The administration did not officially reply until May 27th when uh, Colonel Starling and several Coolidge assistants arrived without prior announcement at a train station in Rapid City. Well, the train station in Rapid City. Doesn't Rapid City sound like the name of something from Pokemon? I don't know why. It just sounds very, like, retro-futuristic, like something from a Mega Man game. Yeah. Uh, Rapid City makes me think, like... um, Maybe it would also be the uh, the the weird the weird title of one of those mixtapes you can find at a gas station. Also true. You know, I'm assuming it has something to do with uh, white water rapids. That makes sense, unless there there are a lot of uh, a lot of on the edge physicists studying right. in time, or just very quick people. They're very like impatient in Rapid City. They want or, to get things done. Or horologist word of the day: horology, study of time. 
And Starling's uh, diplomatic visit to Rapid City um, created a real stir. Every major newspaper in the entire state got word uh, from the office of Senator Norbeck, um, and they printed in their fo- their following subsequent editions um, the announcement that this likely you know, meant that Coolidge was going to arrive. The headlines screamed President Coolidge to arrive on June the 16th. So they must have gotten a little bit of a scoop there from uh, from Norbeck, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe it was just the power of positive thinking. So we know that the whenever the president travels, then as now, it's a big deal. Security is high. There's a lot of uh, logistical uh, shuffling that goes on. And now that they can be public with it, they don't have to be as discreet. So they announced that Coolidge will be residing at the State Game Lodge in Custer State Park, uh, staying in the governor's suite. And they give details about this. That You know, the, the society pages of the time are very interested in those details. They also undertake a ton of last-minute projects to get everything in tip-top shape and perfect. They put Gravel all along a 32-mile road between the um, the Summer Lodge and the train station. And then they, they start Rapid City Executive Offices in a high school. They install a telephone switchboard uh, that can connect the president directly to D.C. So it's like he's never really away. That's right. So essentially they're establishing like a, uh, a situation room, a base camp, you know, where none existed uh, in a high school like you do. And th- that switchboard you mentioned connected directly to uh, what's referred to as, I've never heard this term before, the executive mansion mm-hmm. in Washington, D.C. So wait, is that separate from the White House? There's like another domicile for the president or is this before the president took residence in the White House? The executive mansion is what you think of when you think of a picture of the White House. Oh, I've never heard that term used before. It's interesting. Um, Right. So they also uh, had special planes just for the president's mail. And they had to install special gas pumps to fuel up the presidential motorcade. That's right. And Coolidge keeps his uh, his entourage fairly small, especially considering that he's the president of the United States. His wife, Grace, is there with him with staff members, Secret Service agents, of course, uh, three dozen newspaper reporters glom on. Uh, and then they take their their two dogs, Rob Roy and Prudence Prim. Uh, as well as their pet raccoon, Rebecca. Favorite detail about Rebecca, she lived in a wicker basket. Didn't we do an episode on weird presidential pets? Mm -hmm. And this made the the cut, I believe. I believe Rebecca does make an appearance. She is officially returning guest to Ridiculous History. Congratulations, Rebecca. You are joining the rarefied uh, air with other famous guests of ours, such as Rowan Newby, Frank Mulherin, uh, Christopher Hasiotis. Tinkerbell the Frog. There was a crocodile in there. Oh, yeah. There definitely was a crocodile. Or a gator. Yeah. I think the the, the gator hung out on, like, the presidential golf course or something like that. Mm. And, you know, you got to take your raccoon. They're going out into nature. I'm sure Rebecca loved it. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. 
This is important stuff. Your team can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my team uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your teen enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Sometimes to get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. We're nothing if not trailblazers here at Ridiculous History. And you know who also is a huge uh, iconoclastic challenger of the status quo, Ben? Who is that, Noel? Well, I think you know. Hmm. It's Harry's. Yes, it's Harry's. They saw customers getting ripped off by all kinds of like slipshod, questionable products in the shaving industry. And they said, hey, you got to be the change. I was excited to try out the Winston set. It's an all-in-one package. You get some shaving cream. You get that great razor we're talking about. They also have deodorants. Yeah, I was about to say. Very helpful. I do really enjoy uh, their line of self-care products. Um, Richly lathering, skin-softening body washes and scents like redwood, wildlands, and stone. You want to know what a stone smells like? I've often wondered. Only you know you can. (laughs) So don't settle for the status quo, folks. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash history. Once again, that's harrys.com slash history for a $3 trial set. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's this. There's always a catch. So when we heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are just $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, we thought, what's the catch? So we dug in, and after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't a catch. Can you believe that? Mint Mobile's got a secret sauce, babies, and it is that they sell wireless service online, and by doing so, cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet, sweet, delicious savings directly onto you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. So here's the thing. We said it was a fishing trip, right? Coolidge was known for fishing trips. Again, the society papers followed him pretty closely. They reported on all his vacations and stuff. Uh, Then, as in recent years, uh, the implication always being, how does this person have time for vacation? Uh, This rep for being a fishing fanatic 
came about uh, during a 1926 New York vacation, the one we mentioned where he went to the Adirondacks. Uh, and now that he was known as a fisherman, P- the people of Dakota were saying, all right, we're going to we're going to paint the Black Hills as a fisher's paradise. That's right. And um, the the takeaway here is that he actually fell uh, a victim to one of the earliest uh, mentions of, of the idea of a phishing scam, but it's spelled F-I-S-H-I-N-G, not what we know today as P-H-I-S-I-N-G, where you get an email from a spurious source and then you click a link and then all of a sudden you're, you know, all virused out. Because like you said, Ben, um, there were some that, you know, in addition to this boon to the uh, the tourist industry that would come along with the presidential visit in the first place, they were really hoping to capitalize on the president, the optics of the president being an avid outdoorsman and fisherman and establish uh, South Dakota, the Black Hills specifically, as as a real place, a real destination location for fisher, fishermen. So um, they invited him, some select kind of dignitaries, let's call them, from the city, invited the president on a fishing expedition and at first he was kind of a little bit reluctant and they had to do a little arm twisting but um, you know before you knew it he agreed and uh, they took him out to a place called Squaw Creek um, where he was fully suited up and like his, his, his waiters, I guess, you know, and uh, he really had all the gear and absolutely looked the part and um, was hoping to have a really lucky day catching fish. Yeah so here's the scam part of it Good people of Black Hills, South Dakota, decided that they were going to make it very, very easy to catch these fish, specifically trout. Uh, you'll recall, longtime listeners, that in a, in a previous episode, we mentioned a great diamond hoax, wherein the hoaxers had, spoiler alert, literally just spread precious gems on the ground and had a, a kind of Easter egg hunt. This was what it was for Coolidge. For sure, although I have to say it's a lot easier to believe that the waters are just leaping with fish than to believe that the earth is rich in diamonds just because there are a few sprinkled across the topsoil, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I, let's give let's give Coolidge a little credit here for not being quite as gullible as our characters in the Diamond Hooks episode. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I mean, it's – oh, and also shout out to the listener who wrote a fantastic email to – a fantastic email to us. I was reading this last night uh, and said actually they are called diamond fields because you can find diamonds just laying on the ground. Loose diamonds. Loose diamonds. That's the millionaire's uh, currency right there. The dream. That's the dream. So Billionaires even. Yeah, yeah. I would say even more so billionaires. You know, if you're a millionaire, you probably still use like cards or banks or something like a rube. But loose diamonds. That's where it's at. Anyway, for Calvin Coolidge, fish are where it's at. And here's what they do. Here's why it's a scam. Some South Dakotans who shall not be named in this episode uh, were Lodge Park officials. And they went about a mile above and below the area where they knew Coolidge was going to be fishing. And they installed fish nets across the creek. And then in that roughly two-ish mile area, they dumped more than 2,000 trout from the state fish hatchery. These fish were old. They were huge. They were lazy because they had just been living on ground liver and horse meat. So they were fat, flabby. They had no fear of being caught because they had just – they had been farmed, you know? Ben, when you first said that, my interpretation was they were living on ground, as in dirt, Mm. liver – 
and horse meat. Ah. And that's just adding insult to injury right there, you know? You, you use the dirt to sprinkle and add a little seasoning to your liver and horse meat. You know, I got to tell you, I am not the biggest liver fan, and I, uh, I'm i not the biggest horse meat fan. I thought you said the horse meat was okay. It was, but it's still horse meat. That's true, but you can't just fool yourself into thinking, I mean, what, what, does it really taste gamey? Well, it's kind of like saying the best snowboarding in Georgia. You know what I mean? Fair. Right. So, yeah. I like liver, though, by the way. I was raised on liver and onions and stuff like that. Oh, yeah? Know, but I, I, I like it. You, you don't like pate? How do you feel about, like— uh, Pate's good. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's all in the preparation. That's you know? very true. And the sauce. Good cookery is all about the sauce. 100% agree. So uh, we've got to introduce the governor of South Dakota at this time. He was in on Norbeck's plan, right, from the jump. And he was also in on this— this uh, fishery plan, this scam to make Calvin Coolidge feel like the world's best fisherman. Uh, and he and his wife, the governor's wife, were invited to the lodge for dinner one evening. And the main course was trout. And the president says uh, that he caught this trout himself in the creek. Please eat of my you know, fish winnings. These loaves and fishes mm-hmm. that I might feed the multitudes. And so the governor takes a bite and then he says... From the first bite I took, I could taste the liver and horse meat, which that trout had lived on for years. Coolidge did not seem to mind. He was pleased as punch to have caught his own fish. And people are pretty sure that this fishing scam, his love of fishing and his like belief that he was amazing at it here, they believe the, these were some of the primary reasons that his vacation in South Dakota, which was originally planned for only three weeks, ended up lasting, get this, three months. Three months. One-fourth of the year. President of the United States. But, I mean, you know, to be fair, he had this this huge comm center there. He was receiving his mails. He was receiving all his presidential paperwork that he had to sign. I mean, it's not like he was just checked out for three months, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so that's A true. working vacation. Yeah, yeah, which uh, I think many of us uh, today are all too familiar with. So there, there are some things that happen. One of the biggest things is a bombshell that he drops toward the end of his vacation. And it's weird because, you know, sometimes you'll see this thing in maybe with your coworkers where someone seems kind of checked out of their job or something And maybe this was a a similar situation for Coolidge uh, because, you know, we said we had like, what, almost three dozen newspaper reporters, right, that were traveling around with him. By August 2nd, these folks were bored. They had done all – they had had the entire Rapid City experience. You know what I mean? Totally. They had the hats. They had the uh, T-shirts if they sold those. Probably not, but they had whatever that version of it was. And they're thinking, well, shouldn't I be covering other breaking news? I am a reporter after all. And that's when Coolidge invites them to his office. It's interesting because it's like, you know, on the one hand, this is absolutely like the longest, most drawn out puff piece you could possibly imagine, right? Where it's like, and today the president took his respite in the calming waters of Lake uh, Squaw Lake or whatever, you know? I mean, it's like, come on, there's nothing to it. There's nothing. I mean, I guess the fact that it's the president elevates it. And maybe they're reporting on some of the policy that he was enacting or some of the aspects of it that made it a working vacation. But at the end of the day, it's kind of like, you know, see how the other half lives, you know, that kind of thing. 
who is that guy? Robin Leach. Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Just so. Uh, so, I totally forgot that guy's accent, but you guys remember the oh, show. Oh, totally. Anyhow, uh, so Coolidge invites him in his office, and they say, oh, what's up? What's up with this guy? And when they're all present, instead of speaking to them, he has slips of paper on which he has written in a, a, the same message, and he hands each of these 30-something people a slip of paper, and on it there is typed a single line. I do not choose to run for president in 1928. Gotcha. Boom. Crickets immediately after. Casey, can we have some crickets? Perfect. Crickets. What a way to break the news. No one is expecting this. And then someone else someone else says, Mr. President, Mr. President, have you anything to add to your statement? And Calvin Coolidge says, No. And then he leaves. Right. <laughs> That's That was his press conference. I'm going to have to side with uh, the social critics of, our, of, of the day in that this guy did seem like not a barrel of laughs, you know? Not the kind of guy you'd want to have a scotch with mm-hmm. uh, or, or, like, play a round of golf with. I could understand why he liked, the, like, fishing. He think he liked to be alone. He was a solitary man. Surely had interesting thoughts, had a very rich, vibrant internal life, you know, uh-huh. but outwardly he really was kind of a like a weekend at Bernie's type figure, you know, just sort of propped up and pushed along. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your team enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. (laughs) Well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. 
Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. You're listening to this podcast, so I know you care about history and what a period we're living through right now, specifically when it comes to the situation in Israel and Gaza. Right now, you're hearing a lot of loud voices screaming about genocide, massacre, and occupation. But these words, slogans, and various headlines are not enough to help you understand what is happening over there. And that's where this podcast comes in. Check out Unpacking Israeli History, catch up on previous seasons, and enjoy new episodes from Season 6 each week, where they cover many of the topics that are relevant to what's going on in Israel today. From the history of infamous terror groups like Hamas and Hezbollah, to the story of Nakba, to Israel's disengagement from Gaza in 2005, there's so much to uncover. Unpacking Israeli history cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. So educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli History wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, this is where we run into some interesting stuff here because it turns out that the public image was maybe not an accurate portrayal of the private man. Oh, by the way, once he announced that he wasn't running again, he stayed at the game lodge. He kept fishing. He really did love it there, huh? He really did. He appears to. Uh, and maybe, you know, we, we'll never know if he if he ever found out that they they ginned up the uh, the <laughs> fishery for him. But here's the thing. Although he was considered boorish by society of the day and, and um, people thought he was super quiet and taciturn and, and had no sense of humor, he was also uh, apparently apparently kind of funny. Like he was a funny guy that people didn't understand. Uh, he, was, he was super religious first, we have to say. And he, uh, he even though he lived in the executive mansion of the White House, uh, at the time of his presidency, he, he didn't like all the bells and whistles. He actually enjoyed the idea of living in a place without electricity and without phones. He hated small talk. And uh, and I think you're right. It, we don't think that he liked people in particular. He didn't like to speak at events he had to go to. Uh, someone asked him why he bothered to attend one social function because he didn't talk to anyone. And then he said, I've got to eat somewhere. And there are apparently a ton of anecdotes where this guy would call his advisors into the Oval Office. And instead of talking to him, he would just sit there and stare at them. Wow. Like Larry David style, like trying to like suss them out, psych them out, look deep into their souls. Or like uh, maybe like uh, cult leaders do that a lot. Like Bentino, what's his face? Oh yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what's the, what was his? Deal? He was like the the startup kind of cult leader guy, right? Yeah, like a like a tech bro based exactly. cult. I wonder what's up with him. We should do a follow up. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. No. I don't know. I don't want to get enough too much of a platform. I yeah. think you're right about that. Um, this is an interesting story though, because it's a president that I've only ever really known by the name, because it is sort of an interesting name, Calvin Coolidge. You're right. I, I too am a fan of alliteration, and the last name Coolidge just makes you think of a guy that's that's really you know a hip cat, but uh, he just wasn't exactly. But he didn't really care what you thought of him. He knew who he was, 
And uh, I really respect this notion of him taking this extended, you know, working vacation, announcing that he's done with the presidency, uh, probably because largely he didn't like the lifestyle. He didn't like all of the things that went along with being the president, which you kind of have to be a part of. You have to do the glad handing. You have to be a good diplomat. You have to make nice with people that maybe you'd rather not. Uh, And he just didn't have any time for that. And then he just stuck around. In this place that from the very beginning, despite us knowing that it was sort of a ploy to get him there and that the fishing was largely a scam, he was taken by it. And he very much loved it and and found some solace in that. And for that, I I, I appreciate the man. One more Coolidge anecdote that's just beautiful. Uh, So he was at this social function, this social obligation, and the hostess, a prominent socialite, said, you know, I'm going to draw him out. I'm, you know, I'm outgoing and people, people like me, gosh darn it. Very Stuart Smiley of her. Uh, She corners the president at a party and she says, Mr. President, you must help me out. I've made a bet that I can get you to say more than two words at this party. And his reply was, you lose. At which point he left, by the way. (laughs) You lose. You get nothing. nothing. Yeah, so this is weird because there's also a a pretty strong argument, and this comes from Atlas Obscura, that uh, Coolidge was playing a role, that he was just deep in a role sort of the way that Andy Kaufman would get because Coolidge apparently didn't like the way he sounded when he spoke. That's a common thing. And so he wanted to seem more mysterious, and he thought if he spoke less when he did speak, it would be treated with more importance. Which, you know, is, is a strategy people have used today. But that's that's it. Calvin Coolidge. Uh, I You know, I, I don't think a lot of us uh, in 2020 know a ton about this president. There are a lot of presidents now. The thing that's ringing a bell uh, now, now that we're going into this is that pretty odd presidential pet, which is there's a really interesting backstory behind. What was the what was the raccoon's name again? Rebecca. Rebecca the raccoon. More alliteration. Alliteration abounds in the story. Rebecca was apparently the result of uh, one of those famous presidential pardonings around Thanksgiving time. But it wasn't a turkey. It was Rebecca. And what does that mean? That means Rebecca was destined for the dinner table because this, again, was a simpler time when eating a raccoon at a presidential dinner table would have been just fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something I think my dad, the colonel, would would probably enjoy too. Oh, before we end, though, I got to say there's a guy that I think would be perfect for a future episode, uh, not just because of his name but because of his weird obsession, is the sculptor Gutsan Borglum who is responsible not just for creating Mount Rushmore, but also for creating uh, that gigantic stone carving not too far away from us in Stone Mountain. The racist one? Yeah, the racist one from the Civil War. He wanted to push uh, Coolidge to to help him build Mount Rushmore. But I, I, I'm personally uh, fascinated by Borglum's story, which is a story for another day. So... Hats off to you, Calvin Coolidge. Uh, it sounds like you did. You did get the wool pulled over your eyes or the trout slapped over your face, um, but uh, you enjoyed fishing. I don't know. It's just three months vacation. Seems like a long amount of vacation for any profession. But he was checked out. He was In his mind, he was a lame duck. You know, he knew what was up, and he was setting the tone for his retirement. 
I get the sense that he already knew going in right. that he was going to uh, decline the nomination or decline to run again. Uh, that's what it feels like to me. And to that end, I bet he was tired of getting uh, you know, piled on for being a dullard and all these negative things and these social critics and probably cartoons that were making fun of him and mocking him for being a little bit straight-laced and, and not particularly enthusiastic. And he was like, you know what? Screw you guys. I'm going to go on a taxpayer-funded vacation and then just ride it out as long as I possibly can, and then this is going to be my new life. And with that, President Coolidge, we bid you adieu. Thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, As always, of course, thanks to our super producer, Casey, not Coolidge, Pegram. And thank you to Gabe Luzier. Thank you to Christopher Hasiotis, Eves Jeffcoat, Oh, so many people to thank. I love I love that it feels a little like an award speech at the end of the episode. It gives me a sense of accomplishment. I'd like to thank my mom uh, and Casey's mom and your mom, too. Mainly just for giving birth to all three of us, respectively. I'd also like to thank uh, Alex Williams again for the slap and track. He has composed some great stuff lately. Uh, and, of course... We want to hear from you. You're our favorite part of the show. So if you, in these are strange and hurried times, were somehow able to take a vacation for three months, where would you go? What would you do? Three months is a long time. I'm thinking, like, I don't know if I could stay in one place for three months. I'm a little too driven. I think I would, I would get weird. I'm thinking Borneo. You're a Borneo guy? Mm-hmm, I'm a Borneo guy. I didn't have you figured for that. Yeah, you know. I'm trying it out. Feels good. Uh, hey, and by the way, if you want to try us out individually as human people on the internet, you can do so. I am at How Now Noel Brown exclusively on Instagram. I am at Ben Bolin on Instagram, uh, and you can see my various misadventures and days of yore and days to come. Uh, and I'm also at Ben Bolin HSW on Twitter. And uh, the one thing we can say with certitude about our our new pal Calvin Coolidge is that he would have been a terrible podcast guest. He probably knew how to party. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream, through winding passageways, rolling vineyards, and castled hills, into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. This episode is brought to you by Discover. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved only for a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everyone feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service, as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. 
This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you, as the parent, can follow their ride on a live tracking map. Yeah, when your teen requests a trip, they're matched with highly rated, experienced drivers and you receive real-time notifications. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today, they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. It makes them feel safe, and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. And today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details.